Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. of the show i'm joined once again by kyle Klingman from cedar falls iowa kyle it is it's the second semester of college wrestling it's gonna fly we're gonna wake up tomorrow and the ncaa championships will be upon us how do you feel about that it does go by fast it's weird when you look at the dual schedule and you get excited about it and then all of a sudden you look at the end and it's almost over because you had all that anticipation and then the dual meet scenes is almost over so i agree man it, it flies by and there's a little bit of sadness about that because you you build for it and then it's over, but it just means we get to, to be part of it for another season as well. And we roll right into freestyle, basically, as, as we know, this, it never ends. So that's the good thing. Um, but I'm excited about today and today's guest. I'm um, really excited to pick this man's brain and chat with them. A legend of the sport, one of the most prolific pitters of all times. Uh, two-time NCAA champion from Clarion University. It's Wade Chalice. Wade, how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Good morning. Yeah, morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, man, there's so many different things to get into with you, uh, from your days at Clarion to all the, the different types of pinning, the type of style, and um, you want to please see you. You know, you you set all kinds of records, but. You, Looking back from at the start, right? I, I believe you grew up in Pennsylvania. I, there was, I, correct me if I'm wrong. There wasn't, uh, you know, the Tulsa Nationals. There wasn't these this big youth movement of circuit of tournaments and and nationwide systems. What? Wh- how old were you when you got involved in wrestling? And what was it like? Was it just basically at the local level or the state level back then? Well, it's just local. You you, you hit a point here that's that's a hot button for me on, on when people start and the different decades in wrestling here in America, people have a tendency to, to look at the, the present and they don't go back 20 or 50 or 80 years. I mean, you know, basically I'm I'm 70 now. I, you know, I live some of these years and I can tell you what it was like uh, today uh, to win several multiple world championships is possible for many reasons. One of that being there's money in the sport now. I mean, our top 10 guys, are probably averaging three, four hundred thousand dollars a year take home, you know. And back then we were three, four hundred dollars a year take home, and uh, we were unable to wrestle as often as they were, as you alluded to earlier, uh, in Pennsylvania, which is one of the better you know, states in America for wrestling. We had no elementary program uh, in the forties, fifties, or sixties, and it just started in the seventies having an elementary program. And if you were 
prior to say 74 years, 1974-ish ballpark, you know, don't hold me to a couple of years one way or the other. Um, uh, there was no elementary wrestling at all. You didn't start wrestling till junior high. And then of course now they call it middle school. Middle school is fifth, sixth and seventh grade. Or seventh and five, sixth, seventh and eighth. Uh, whereas junior high was seven, eight, nine. So we didn't start till at, at the earliest seventh grade uh, back when I wrestled, when I started in the sixties. So we had no out, no background at all in elementary or middle or wrestling in general. And I didn't start wrestling till ninth grade. And uh, so, you know, I was behind a curve, you know, uh, whereas uh, in Pennsylvania, say a Kerry Colad who came in the eighties, uh, who's a tremendous, tremendous wrestler. He won four state titles, outstanding wrestler all four years. Interesting story about Kerry. I think it was his junior year, might've been his senior year. He was wrestling a kid in the semifinals. who was really, really good undefeated. And at the end of the first period, I think it was 11 to two, you know, and Kerry was up and the referee flipped the coin, you know, he said, uh, son, you know, pointed to Kerry's opponent. Uh, you won the toss. You have top choice, top, bottom, neutral. What would you like to do? He looked at the referee and says, I'd like to be in the other bracket if it's not too late. <laughs> the other half of the bracket. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, you know, that, Kerry was that good. And uh, But right. to say, you know, wow, he was the best Pennsylvania ever had at the time and certainly certainly could be number one number two he's right up there but there were other people that won four state titles and three you know in a previous decade or earlier decades where that's the best they could do and they only had had so many years of wrestling whereas Kerry started you know in the elementary schools so he had a he had a pretty uh did a heck of a job in the elementary uh, programs in middle school before he got to the high school so you have those things so for me uh, they, they, uh, I coached uh, the Pennsylvania team to the very first Fargo tournament, which wasn't Fargo at the time. It was it was wrestled in Iowa City. It was at the University of Iowa for many, many years, I think 10 or 15 years before uh, Fargo put a bid in and, and has always been there. And now we just call it Fargo. Uh, prior to that, it was in Iowa City. And even prior to that, it was in Warland, Wyoming. The very first Fargo, or what we're calling Fargo, but sponsored by USA Wrestling, was in uh, was in Warland, Wyoming in 69. Uh, and, and, you know, the Tulsa Nationals didn't exist, Southern Scuffle. You know, the only thing they had back, Wilkes, Wilkes was going for for the collegians at Christmas time. Midlands wasn't didn't exist then either. And, you know, back when I wrestled, when, if you won the Wilkes, it was like winning the combination of the Midlands and the Wilkes combined. You know, but today when you say, well, as a Wilkes champion, well, okay, that's nice. And when Gray Simons won four NAIA national championships in the uh, 60s, NAIA was the NCAA back then. Well, now they had the NCAAs too, but the NAIA champions were every bit as good as the NCAA champions. So when Gray won four, I mean seven, three NCAA championships, which is all he was allowed to go to because freshmen were not eligible in the 60s, you know, so he, he won every tournament, national tournament he went to. And then, but the freshmen were allowed in the NAIAs by their rules, so he won four there. So during his college days, he, he won seven NCAA championships and was outstanding wrestler. I think at four of them, you know, it, it, you know that was that was really special. But you didn't put him in the top twenty or top one hundred on your best wrestlers list, which is a travesty. Gray Simons was, I you know, in my opinion, I think he was in, certainly in the top twenty and arguably in the top ten. But it didn't even make it because they were looking to the worlds and Olympics and. And Gray Simons never lost the match at the Olympics. He was undefeated and took fifth. 
Well, how did that happen, says Mark. Well, how that happened was easy. Back then they had what they called black mark system. If you pinned your opponent, your opponent got four black marks. If you pinned, you got zero. If you decisioned him, he gets three for losing by decision, and you get one for not pinning him, and a tie, 2-2. Two, two. So every match, you got black points or didn't get them, and you accumulated them over the course of the tournament. And if you were, uh, and once you hit six black marks, you were out of the tournament. Gray won all his matches, but none of them by pin, and was out of the tournament and took fifth. And he beat the gold and the bronze in the process of coming up, but didn't get a medal. So when you don't take those things into consideration, like say with Gray's performance in the top 100, I know that's that's something. Uh, but you have to know as you're looking, as you're trying to figure out what's going on earlier in the history of wrestling in America, uh, rules have changed, attitudes have changed. Uh, when I wrestled in the 70s, I unfortunately I or fortunately I had a, I had, a, I had a daughter when I was a high school senior, and so in college I had to work for child support, and after that too. So when I wrestled in the 70s and go, you know working for international whatever, I worked five days a week and then showed up at a tournament on Saturday and wrestled. Today these athletes are you know with being paid three four hundred thousand five hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, they're working out, you know, six days a week, you know, with world and Olympic medalists all around them at the different RTCs, which RTC, what the hell was that? You know, that was something that only took place after the 2000s. You know, so it's the landscape is completely different. I'll stop talking and maybe I created one or two questions, you know, you have from all <laughs> yeah, that. No, no, that's great. I, I, I love this. Um, you talked about the black mark system and Basically, it seemed like they were encouraging everyone to work for a fall. You start wrestling at, at ninth grade. They probably teach you a double leg and a half and a cradle and a switcher. I just, you know, the, the basic things. How did your style take form? Because it, it obviously wasn't traditional, right? How, how did you develop your wrestling style? Um, easy answer to that, but I'll use an analogy here somewhere along the line. My style... Um, if you would see, I mean, if you watch Bo Nickel today, you're watching Wade Chalice. He could be my son. You know, now we never knew each other and, and so on. But to watch it, I know everything he's going to do before he does it. I can see it coming. And uh, and a lot is, but uh, when I did crazy things like that, which aren't, which are today basic, but back, uh, let's use the Avante. It was a automobile in the late, early 70s, put out by, uh, I was one Rambler, I believe. American Motors. Anyhow, the Avanti was so far ahead in their design, it would be normal in today's, you know, if you saw it on the street today. But back then, it was so different, radical. It was, whoa. So, but today, it's nothing if you saw it driving on the street. As a matter of fact, it would, it would not stand out in today's style. Whereas my wrestling today would not stand out in a lot of the kids, uh, what they're doing, funk wrestling. Uh, when I did, did the funk wrestling, and I guess they, some, a lot of people call me the father of funk, is, you know, it was garbage wrestling. Well, you, you know, he'll never win big ones matches. That's all garbage wrestling. You can't, you know, flip-flop and dive under and splatle and things like that. That's that's garbage. It won't work on good kids. And then after about four, five, ten years of, of all this garbage wrestling, which I got tired of people saying, he's just a garbage wrestler. Well, I had a couple words in my mind that I can't say here about them. But anyhow, um, now today, you know, it's just, it's, it's the acceptable norm. Back then it was a tight waist, pick up an ankle when you're on top, hang on for two minutes because stalling was almost non-existent back then. 
it was way boring. And I, how did I get to this style? I had in high school, I had three coaches, wonderful men, loving, caring, give you their shirt off their back, but they didn't know wrestling. So I had, I didn't have coaching. And as a result, I made it up. I mean, you know, they said you have to pick up an ankle and ride. I said, well, you know, I was a skinny, skinny kid in Pennsylvania. I didn't have, I wasn't built like Cole Adder or Jordan Burroughs. No way. You know, so they you know, pick up an ankle. I went, well, his thighs are this big. And my arm is this big. Why am I doing that? That doesn't seem like it's an even fair battle here. If I can get up on his head where his neck is small and skinnier and attack his arms and lay on his head, and attack his thinking, because I'm laying on his head, and his breathing, because I'm on his throat and on his head, I think that'll work a lot better than me back there tackling this butt and thighs and you know massive strength that he has. That made sense to me. They go, no, you got to get back there. I go, why? Coach, I'm not trying to be smart here, or smart aleck. He go, why? It doesn't make sense. You know, I want to get up on his head and you know cut off his breathing and, and his thought process. So, you know, I, I, my style developed from that. Now, I had a lot of people on their backs, absolutely. Uh, but I was on my back a few times in the wrestling rooms trying to, well, let's see if this works. And I'd flip under, shit, I'm bridging. Hmm, and that's not going to work. Back to the drawing board, Wally Coyote, you know, and I'd go back and, and adapt it. And I have a very, very creative mind. And uh, I mean, I'm sure Kyle knows that. He's, he's, we've talked on many occasions about, What's wrong with wrestling today? How can we improve it? We have so many problems in wrestling. I, you know, you don't have a long enough day on your on, on your podcast to, to cover some of the problems we have. But I have solutions to all of them, and I think they're very, very simple and, and easy solutions that no one's listening. And so, such as life in the big city. Did I answer your question? <laughs> of I when, when I started, your style, yes, because uh, you you didn't want to attack the the ankle and the big thigh. You wanted to attack the head and the neck and and all that is basically what you said. And so I'm, I'm, I, and I, I want to get to the problems that you, you speak of, but at first, like, you know, I'm a thinker, I'm very creative. You said, and sometimes you find yourself on your back in the room, be like, shit, that didn't work. Okay. Throw it out. Did you, was most of these things figured out in the room? Would you go home and, and at night and, and think, you know, close your eyes and, and visualize, what you did or didn't do that day and how it worked or, or how much was this stuff on your mind? It was on my mind a lot. You were right. I, I would go home, I'd lay in bed and I go, okay, now if you know the body and you know angles, I mean, it's, it's really not that difficult. At least I don't think so, but boy, we're, coaches back then were not thinking about angles and, you know, the arm, you know, I, if you watch any of my instructional videotapes I have out there, which are the best selling videotapes on the market, I've sold more than anybody else, including Gabe and, and, and Gene Mills and so on. I put a circle, the starting circle, I put a clock on it. I put the numbers 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, around the circle. And once you get in a referee's position, if you're going to chop the left arm, chop tight waist to knock him down at the referee's position, you take him at 1030. You don't chop him forward because he has four appendages, two arms, two legs. His right arm is responsible for between 12 and 3 o'clock. Anything that happens during those three hours, 12 to 3, my right arm is responsible. My right legs, 3 to 6, 6 to 9, left hand, 9 to 12. So when I'm being chopped down, if you chop my left arm, if you chop me forward, I can put at 12 o'clock, my left arm is my 12 o'clock arm, you think you take me down or you knock me down to my belly. No, because my right hand is at 12 o'clock too. 
So you didn't get rid of my right arm, so you're not getting me a 12. If you chop me over at 3 o'clock, you didn't, you didn't stop my left leg from going out there at three or 9 o'clock, so you can't take me at 9. You've got to take me halfway between 9 and 12 at 10.30. And, you know, so depending on what you're picking up and which way you're driving a guy, where you have a one-on-one and a half Nelson, if you have a half with your left hand, you want to drive at 1.30. If you take him out, it's, you know, people try to run him in a circle or try to roll him over with a half Nelson. Roll him over. You got a half. Roll him over. You hear that word all the time. Roll him over. But his right leg goes out at three o'clock and says, screw you. You're not getting, you're not rolling me over. So if you try to circle and roll him and take him in a circle and run him over, it doesn't work. You've got to take him out at 130 because his left hand's still free. He can put his left hand at 12 and get his right leg out at three. So you have to take him at 130. Once you figure that out, and so I would analyze all positions, knowing the body, which way the joints move, which way they don't. You know, okay, now, and a lot of times the way the coach said, no, no, you don't go that way. I go, why? Again, just please, whatever you tell me, I'll do, coach, but tell me why. And they couldn't tell me why, so I figured, nah, they're wrong. You know, so I go back to my style and and, uh, uh, learn how to roll and, and, you know, it's just, it's a matter of rolling around and catching guys. I mean, I, I did that a lot and I can move up and down weight classes. I went from 150 in college to 190, you know, and I wrestled everywhere in between, but I only weighed 65 naturally. And I was, you know, I could handle bigger guys. I mean, um, you know, John Peterson was an you know, amazing individual, but in uh, 76 in the Olympic trials or the training camp afterwards, you know, I would go up and wrestle 80s a lot because I didn't want to roll around with Desik or Carl Adams. You know, they were competition. I wasn't going to roll with them. And uh, after about three days of rolling with John, the coaches pulled me off of him and said, wait, he's got we got to have him win the Olympic gold here. You, you know, all you're, he's crying when he goes home every night. I mean, I would beat him by 20 points every day, you know, in every match, just because he, he, he couldn't handle my style. He, he got, you know, you can see smoke coming out of his ears, you know, from short circuiting. Uh, and, but he's a great wrestler. And it's not that I'm greater than him. It was just my style and his style. There was a conflict there. And my, I conflicted with a lot of people. Uh, you know, Desik had my number. He, God, he was, he was my kryptonite, that son of a gun. Uh, he knew how to, you know, he, Stan never wrestled. If you wrestled me, you were in trouble. If you slowed the pace down and did very little, it would frustrate me. I'd want to, let's go. Come on, let's start rolling around. And I, and I, up to shots and things like that every now and then. And when I fell down, fell behind on the first takedown, Stan would shut down, keep good position, you know, and I, I'd had a hell of a time getting in on him and because he, would, he wouldn't wrestle me. And I was smart on his part. I mean, he was, he's, uh, Stan was not the most gifted athlete, but he was probably the smartest I've ever wrestled. And he took that in life and became vice president of Sherston Lehman and, you know, did what he did with the president of USA Wrestling. Um, he's, he's, a, he's an amazing individual. He's very intelligent. And he's above average, certainly as an athlete. He's strong as heck, but you know, he, uh, you know, he gave me problems. So, you know, when I had when I had to wrestle people, uh, other people would open up on me, and that was a mistake. You know, you, you didn't open up on me and and, and survive. So I, I think I got off topic again, but whatever. Yeah, well, we Next. any which way with stuff. Um, you know, you know, you, you mentioned Bo Nickel. I also think of like a Ben Askren or these guys that would just roll around sure. and, and seemingly from, from watching, it's like, it's easy. These guys make, make pinning division one wrestlers look easy. Did it feel easy to you? Did you feel like a step ahead of everyone? Yeah. It's pinning is much easier than taking learning a takedown. 
I mean, it, it's, it's it, again, when you know what you're doing, you know, I, when I lay a kid on his back and when I'm at a clinic, I'll, I'll have Johnny laying here and I'll, I'll say, okay, guys, now pay attention. What position should I get into pinning? You know, hands will go up. I go, okay, Bob, what do you think? Chest on chest, coach. No. <laughs> Today, we're still teaching coach chest on chest. So I say, no, you're wrong. It's not, you know, that's someone told, it's a different story. Someone said that a long time ago and everybody believes it. So I'd lay, I'd lay on my back and or have him lay on his back. I put my hand on his tummy. I'd say, if you lay here, that's good. Then I put my hand on his chest. That's better. Then I put my hand on his throat. That's best. Then I put my hand over his mouth and nose. That's kill. Good, better, best, kill. So where do you want to lay? And all of them together go, kill, kill, kill. You know, they all laugh. And we have fun. And I have to explain it to the parents. It really, we're not trying to kill the guy. But, you know, it's, it's right. I'm having the kid understand good, better, best, kill. And you're going to land on his face. So pinning is laying on a guy's face. And uh, on a cradle, a guy will take a cradle, take him over and fall off of his face, lay on his side, holding the arms and the legs together. And that works really well, but not against your, what I call eights, nines, and tens on scale one to 10, 10 being your NCAA champion, Olympic champion, or state champion in high school. Okay. When you have the eights, nines, and tens, you better damn well lay on his face. When he can't see, can't hear, and can't breathe, his shoulders go down. Okay. So it's, it's a matter of, of short circuiting his thought process. If he's thinking about where his next breath is coming from, he's not thinking about the 11th commandment, thou shalt not be pinned. He's thinking right. about survival. Now, no one, I've never had anyone pass out on me. I, you know, I didn't cut the wind off. So they, they just thought they were going to die. Were they going to die? No, <laughs> it's, it's that middle, ah, when they can't breathe, can't see, because you're laying on their face. So once you get some of these principles of you know, drive at three or one thirty versus or 1030, you know, on your half Nelson's, your cradles and, uh, and how do you reposition yourself when you get on top? It is pretty easy. Pinning, I find, is much easier than a high crotch. High crotch, you got to work like hell. You know, set him up, bang him, get in there. He's cross-facing you. Drive good. It's tough learning the takedowns and, you know, the doubles and that. You know, some of us aren't as, as blessed as Jordan is with the lightning speed on a double leg. Yeah. But uh, but once you analyze what you, what you have in a kid, I, I took uh, – I was at one of the world trials and uh, – uh, David Taylor had to wrestle. He was a 63 and had to wrestle, you know, uh, Burroughs and being a Pennsylvanian and had Penn State. And so I, I went over to him. I said, uh, I said, hey, uh, I, you got uh, Jordan coming up. He goes, yeah, coach. I said, do you, how are you going to handle a double A? Well, uh, Coach Sanderson, and I have a plan. I said, well, I have a feeling it probably won't work. But, you know, I, I can tell you how to beat him if you want. But, I, you know, I'm not trying to interfere with what Kale's showing you. He said, well, what is it? I said, well, you have to turn your side to, to, or to Jordan. If you ever, ever, ever go square stance with him, just in one motion, just as you're moving around, just for a second, you get in square stance, you're going to be sitting on your ass. He's going to blow you off, you know, come through with one of those doubles. You know, you have two choices. You either drop to, your, drop to a knee when you see him setting up a shot, drop. And that's exactly what uh, the, the, the De Kyle Dake's doing. I mean, when the two times they wrestled for the you know, Olympics, Jordan didn't get one takedown, not one. Every time he was ready to shoot, Kyle would see it's coming, drop down to a knee. And he'd stop and he'd back off, move again, and he'd thread in, Kyle dropped down again. He never got a shot off, more or less took him down. 
And I, that's how you beat a Jordan Burroughs. You just, you know, you don't let him take the shot. Or I said, now this is what I would do versus dropping down. It worked for Kyle Day. You, know, you could do one or either. Or you turn your side to him. You give him a single leg or you give him a high crotch on your best leg. Turn your side to him, 190 degrees to him. So he'll never get a double on you. Now you're giving him a single or high crotch, but that's okay. See, if you see Jordan has gotten so many, you know, Jordan is fabulous. I, I, I don't want anyone to think that I'm trying to tear Jordan down in any of these conversations. I'm trying to see how my technical mind works. Uh, when you turn your side, you're giving him a single leg. Yeah. But if you ask Jordan, what's your best takedown? The double. Okay. On a scale of one to 10, how good are you? 18. Yep. You're right. Okay. How good are you at single leg on right leg? Uh, six. How, how good are you at a high crotch on my right leg? Uh, seven. Why? Because he never practices it. He never practices single or high crotch because the doubles always work. He just finds a different way of perfecting different setups, different motions to get into his double leg. If you say you could, you know, if you walk out and say, uh, Jordan, you can't do a double leg in this match at all. He's not going to place in any world championship because that's his go-to move. I mean, you know, he has other skills, but you you take away that double. Ooh, you know, I mean, he's still a fierce competitor, but you know, you can you know you can take away a, a this you take away a gun and a, and a pistol from this military guy and say you have to fight with a knife and I got a gun, I'm going to win. So you you, you know, I saw you go. Mm, I don't know about Jordan. You know, but <laughs> you turn your side to him. Give him a single. Give him a high crotch. And now I have to. Now I'm I'm saying you take my single. You take my high crotch. That's your six or seven best take. Or you know, on a scale of ten, that's my I, that's my ten defensively. Touch my you touch my leg. You're on your back. My right leg was destructive because I spent most of my time and I never got out of that lead leg right right lead leg. I if someone would ever get to my back leg, I was in trouble. But boy, I had that thing hit. It was behind me, and I always led with my right. It was so it was so obvious. I gave it to you. Take it, please. You know, Lee, Lee Kemp would he'd pick my leg up, and I I hop into him. He'd let go of my leg and push me away, or he, or I pick my leg up and give it to him, and he push it down because he didn't want it. You know, you don't want you don't want my right leg. But too many people said, "Well, I can do that." Okay, fine, grab it. Good luck. Okay, so I that was my style. You know, if. Jordan was here talking to you. He'd say, well, the way, how you beat Wade is when that, he leaves that leg, you've got to spend your whole match pulling him around. So all of a sudden, just for a second, you got him into a square stance or a left leg lead. Then you better hit in as soon as you get there because that, that leg is only going to be there for half a second. He's going to pull it back around. So to beat Wade, stay the hell off his right leg. You're going to beat Jordan. Don't square up with him because you square up with Jordan, boom, you're sitting on your butt 10 feet from where you were. He was fabulous yeah. at it. He still is. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I've more questions for you. Yeah. Well, I, I'm curious. You know, you said there's earlier. You said there's there's so many things wrong with wrestling, and I don't mean I don't know if you mean organizationally and structurally or technically on the mat, like chest to chest, for example. Right? Everybody yelling that. Like, I don't know. Give give me one of these problems and the solution you have. Well, the you we have to get. And we'll never do this. It won't happen. The, the, the egos of the coaches won't happen. We've got to get five, eight, ten of our best thinkers in a room. And I don't think necessarily that would be Kale or John Smith or Brands. And I'm not saying they're not great thinkers. They are. But they're, 
they're they've got blinders on to way the thing is today. You need to bring in, you know, you know, like a John Bowles or Bob Bowlesby, the head commissioner of the Big 12. Bob was the athletic director at Iowa when Gable was there. And he knows if we have somebody that's really high up in the NCAA that has our back, it would be John Bob Bowlesby. And uh, you get Bob in the meeting too, and you sit down and you put on the chalkboard the 20 problems wrestling has. Okay, whatever you say, we'll put it up there. And then uh, now let's number them. What's the number one problem? What's the number 12 problem? What's the number 19 problem? And then say, okay, guys, we're going to attack number one first. When we beat that one, we're going to go to number two. And everybody in the room is going to, you know, they might have said, uh, I believe number eight's the problem. Okay, well, it's number eight now. Everyone voted number eight. So we're not going to do that. So get it out of your head. We have to attack number one. And you organize what your problems are. And no matter what I say, when I talk to people, you know, they'll come up with, well, you know, we got to do something about stalling. We got to have a push out point. That would be the worst thing we'd ever do in wrestling. It's terrible in freestyle wrestling. You want to have a push out point, you just kiss takedowns goodbye because you don't have to commit. You don't, you're not in on a shot. You're not getting your face beat up. You're not getting beat, taken down. You just push a guy out. So what you're going to have is the short little warthogs, you know, with a lot of power, they're going to they're going to win the Olympics. And this tall, skinny kids and the middle-sized kids, they're out of the game because they get pushed out of bounds all the time. Uh, but anyhow, uh, in, in what, our, what our problems are is the number one problem in wrestling is we have no fans. We have no fans. We have 20,000 people to go to the NCAs, but that's all we have. It's the same 20 every year. You know, we all get together, we have a drink, we cheer and, you know, go for Penn State, Iowa, yeah, Oklahoma State, go get them, you know, and so on. Uh, but that's not, that doesn't, that doesn't uh, bring fans in. And when I say change some of the rules, you know, people will fight me over. I don't care what their opinion is. The people that we have, I don't care about. I care about the 3 million people we don't have that don't come to wrestling. Because if you don't have people in this, you don't have butts in the stands, you don't have revenue. And without revenue, the athletic directors don't give a shit about you. You're just a, an annoyance to them. And that's why, that's why wrestling has lost so many programs. Because they do, wrestlers will do the same thing football players will do. Socially, academically, athletically. They're dumb as hell, typically. Because we have the worst academic performance at the NCAA level of all the male, male sports. Okay, so, you know, there are some tremendous gifted athletic academic people that we have in wrestling. But as a rule, we don't. So we pull down the national or the athletic department average academically. So when the athletic director goes to a booster club meeting, he could talk about, well, the athletes have a, you know, a 0.32 average higher than the average academic uh, points of the student general student body. You know, we, you know, we, he has to he has to be able to brag about what they're doing. And if wrestling is pulling down their academic average and pulling their football players even lower, which they can't put up with, because football's king, basketball's queen, you know, and everybody else is just is is just are given money. We have to have power, and that, and we always go out and try to fundraise and have people donate money. And isn't that nice? That that's icing on the cake. But you have to have the cake, and the cake is fans in the stands. How do we get them there? Well, every year we add three pages to the rules book. Oh, that's really good. People watch Jeopardy because they're going to get at least 30% of the questions right on Jeopardy. And they, and they like seeing it. And they, Jeopardy's, if Jeopardy asks questions that nobody can answer at home, 
they wouldn't watch the TV show anymore because you're making them feel stupid. And that's not a really good thing to do. In wrestling, we make our fans look stupid. You get a new guy coming in, a new lady, the family sitting there, and the referee is doing this and holding their hand in, when they're on their feet, behind standing. What the hell does that mean? Well, stop, you know, that's a new indication for stopping writing time. Well, what's that about? You spend most of your time trying to explain to them and making them feel stupid that they can't figure out what the hell's going on with all the rules. And every time they, they, they have a problem with a new rule, or a new rule that they put in, they put in another rule to counteract the badness of the rule they put in. And then they have another rule on top of that. And the book gets thicker and more people get confused. And you cannot confuse your, your, your fan base and have them come back and go, gee, I can't wait to do, do this again. This is fun to watch this. No. Now, are there exciting bouts? Yeah. But they're, they're, they're the Iowa-Penn State bouts. You know, if Iowa and Penn State were not, if they were number 23 and 25 nationally, no one would go to that dual meet. You know, people will always show up for the number one and number two. It could be Central Michigan and Clarion, one, two. That place, they pack the gym then because it's, it's number one, number two. So you can't look at, you know, well, look at what Penn State's doing. You do know, and I, you know, everybody, you'll nod your head. There's not one program in America that's in the black. Penn State loses money. Iowa loses money every year. And if they're losing money, you can bet your sweet bippy that Ohio State is. Ohio State's averaging, I think, 2,400 a match. You put them in their arena, it's quite empty. So when you're sitting there as a new fan, you look around and you say, wow, where's everybody else? Am I the stupid one or are they the smart ones? Because it's half. If you're going to have two people show up to watch a dual meet, you damn well better find a gym that seats one. <laughs> you know, so now it's, it's standing room only. That's what you have to have. We wrestle in these big coliseums and arenas, and it's half empty or 70% empty. So is it an important sport? Hell no. And the athletic directors are dropping a sport left and right. Now we're getting some of the D2s and D3s starting now because the economy is so bad and people aren't going to college and their chairs are empty. You know, So presidents are wanting more kids to show up. Their wrestling programs make sense at the D2, D3. But we haven't had a D1 program start in America in this decade. You know, in this century, not one D1, pro- serious D1 program. If, if Villanova would start, they're D1, but that's not a serious D1 program. LSU is a serious D1 program. Okay, Texas is a serious D1 program. You know, Notre Dame, we don't have them. We can't get them started. Okay, so now how are you going to do that? You have to create excitement. The rules that are designed today are designed to slow down, to have no action to play the edge, down block on a shot, you know, keep the referee off your back, you know, and take half shots so that someone thinks that was going on. And, you know, you, you watch a match, third period, it's eight to two. What are, what are people doing? They're talking about what they're, where they're going, to what bar after the, after the match, or they're going to the bathroom, or they're going to get a Coke because the match is over. It's eight to two and nothing's happening in the third period. One guy's happy he's up by eight or up by six points and the other two. Other guys said, I can't win, so the hell with it. Right now, it's only a three-point loss for my team, so I'm not going to try anything. I've already screwed up. So the action, you know, dis- disappears, you know, for two minutes out of, out of the six. You know, that, that hurts us. We have to have continual action. Now, scoring, you might say, we want scoring. Well, yeah, we want scoring, but we want action. In soccer, there's very little scoring, but there's a hell of a lot of action. you got 22 guys sprinting. Every minute, every hour, every second, up and down the field. 
and fans are it love it. So scoring and action are different. And now a lot of times scoring occurs out of action, but we need to have action. And you know you have to incentivize, not penalize, what we're doing in America today. Now, if I was king for a day, I have one rule I change. And after that, you know, you, if it works, you come back and say, you're a genius, Wade. What else would you do? But by far, a point scored is a point earned. Simple to say, simple to understand. It does not affect any wrestler. The wrestlers that are winning now are going to win again tomorrow. It has nothing to do with them whatsoever. So I'm not affecting the athlete, but I am affecting the coaches. So if I win eight to two, my team gets eight points. Your team gets two points. Ta-da. That's the team score, eight to two at the end of the – it's not three-zero because right. you won by decision or tech. It's eight to two. If you win 15 to one, 15 points, one point. That's simple to understand. That is the exact way every other sport in America is. Well, that's not fair, says some big D1 coach, because uh, we could we could – lose two matches out of the 10 and lose the dual meet. That's not fair. Get over it, coach. It's the way you get one six foot 11 high school basketball player playing again with four average basketball players or below average basketball players. They're in the state finals. One guy is, is scoring all the points and doing all the work. You get one really good quarterback or running back in high school and they're in the state playoffs. They can have an average or below average team, but that star running back will put them there. So you you get two really good kids, stars. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna dictate the outcome of the match. But well, that's not fair. It, it's the way every other sport is. Why isn't that so in wrestling? <clears throat> so now now the now dual meets will be one twenty two to one twelve. I mean, yeah. you know, there'll be higher school. But what the hell's the difference? The difference is the coaching. The coaches are so scared that they could lose two bouts out of ten in college and lose the dual meet. What are they doing every second of every minute of every hour in the restroom? Take him down. Get on his back. Put him on. God damn it. Get him on his back again. Pin him. I, half thousand. Cradle. They're going crazy within the wrestling room pushing this agenda. But right now they're pushing the other. Hey, be smart. Play that edge. Down block. No, no. Take half shot. This is how you keep the referee off your ass. You do this. They teach the slowdown approach. Now, there's some crazies out there like Gene Mills and Askren, you mentioned, and myself, that'll screw that. We're going to start flipping and flopping and, you know, and, and, and you know, pulling in fans. When I wrestled, the gym was full at Clarion. Every time we wrestled, it was packed. Why? Because of me. Okay? Not because Donnie Roan, who was NCAA champ, or Bill Simpson was NCAA champ, my teammates, although they were outstanding people. Roney was one of the best coaches in high school level ever. You know, his high school team won a couple of national championships, beat St. Ed's and the rest of them. Uh, but they were single leg, take them down, hold on to them. Me, I'm going crazy. The, the fans would show up for it. If you can get 10 shallows in a dual meet, you, you ticket sales, the price of tickets would be 50 bucks for a to get in, and it would still be full. Now you have power with the athletic director. The athletic director can't afford to get rid of you. Okay, but you have to get in the black, not be the red. Right now, we're not only in the red, but we're the stupidest sport. And we're the ones that have a tendency to clean out a bar Friday night after a dual meet when someone pushes a 125-pounder off a bar stool. And the little guy says, you know, next thing you know, he's Monday morning, he's in the dean's office 
for the fight, and the wrestler coach has to go up there and defend him, and the athletic director's going, it's okay if a football player gets gets in trouble because they, they'll, they'll bury it, you know, because it's, it's, it's football. But they don't bury it when it's wrestling, and when we become more of a problem, we are an asset. Uh, hey, coach, I'm sorry. You know, we the money's just killing us. The Title IX's, you know, chewing, chewing on our on our budget. Uh, we, we we have to discontinue the sport, coach. Can I? There's something I can do to help you. I'm really I'm really sorry. They, they almost have crocodile tears, you know, and they help you come out of the office and they close the door and go. <clears throat> I got rid of that damn sport because the sport has no benefit. You know, when I was coaching at Clemson, every day or two days a week, I would give them big black garbage bags. I'd have uh, stenciled on the side of the black garbage bags, Clemson wrestling, big with the tiger paw, you know, and I'd make the kids go out and run as they call coaches do. I'd have them run down through the center of town and they had to pick up every piece of garbage, every cigarette butt as they ran through the center of town. And then they dumped it in a trash can at the other end of town and then finished their run. Every, uh, every owner of every uh, business downtown would go, who's that? They couldn't miss the name on the bag. You know, so we had goodwill that, you know, the community was supporting our wrestling program. So they would have a hard time getting rid of that. That was just a little trick of the trade. I, I think it was, I think it did some good, especially in a, in a Southern school when wrestling was not big in the South. And there was a reason why they might want to get rid of wrestling. But a point earned and a point scored is huge for wrestling. But, you know, you have to take it. Now, the downside, you know, someone's going to say, one, one of the two of you, well, what about the pin? Now, don't get locked. Don't get locked in. I'm going to say ten points. It could be two points. It could be eight points. It could be fifteen points. I don't care. I'm going to say ten here, just for the conversation. A pin is ten points plus whatever you got. You win an eight to two. You pin the guy. You get eighteen. He gets two. You don't take away from the producer. The guy who scored eight points out there and he lost ten to eight. He gets those eight points. So when his team wins 127 to 125, he can say my five points made the difference of the win. So his teammates are cheering him on to get an escape with 10 seconds to go. That's one more point that's going on the board for their team. Whereas right now they just lay their head down and say, screw it. You know, I don't want to do anything. So there's no action. There's no reason. There's, we're not incentivizing action. We're decentivizing action by the, by all the rules and in, in the stalling. So that, that, that alone would make all the difference in the world in wrestling. And if you pinned, Oh, what if someone said, well, wait, what if, if someone was up 15 to three and he unfortunately slipped and got headlocked and got pinned, what happens then? Well, he had three points. He got pinned. He got 10. He gets 13. Well, the other guy gets 15. Yeah. So the pin determines who gets their hand raised. The kid who pinned still get his hand raised. He won. He goes in his W column you know, for seeding and so on. But he, he didn't produce at all during that match. He only produced three points. The other guy produced 15. Why are you taking it away? Right now, our system is, cap, or is communistic, socialistic. You win by one point, you get three team points. But you only scored one, one nothing. But you get three. Win seven to two, you get three points. But I scored seven. Why am I risking trying to go from three point, three to one score to five to one? Or seven to one. Why am I taking those risks? That's stupid. And in today's wrestling, the coaches are right. That's stupid. You, you know, you don't have to take that risk. You've already won the match. So you know they teach the slowdown approach. And the fans, if you don't think they see it, look in the fans. You know, 
NC State, they're doing wonderful. What a great coaching job they're doing down there in the program they got going. 2,000 maybe on average for a dual meet. 2,000? High schools are getting that. It's, it's our college. It should be like Michigan-Ohio State football in the big house. It should be 110,000 people. You know, no, I, that's crazy, I know. But, you know, in a gym, there's no reason, you know, half the schools in America can't be like Penn State and Iowa. Oklahoma State numbers are terrible. I'll stop for a minute. No, that's all right. It's very, it's a, obviously it's a very radical idea. Um, I don't haven't had a whole lot of time to process it on the surface. It makes sense because if you're up eight, two, what? Yeah. You know, what's, what's, uh, I guess eight, two is another great example because two more points to get you, get you uh, a major, but if you're up by five points, what's the incentive for either guy to pr- press on and, instead of just trying to win? This way, there's no major, there's no tech. Well, you can have a tech. If you have a 15-point, keep the tech in. If it's a 15-point, you might have a Gene Mills that will run off a 33-10 to 10 match, you know, because he's capable of that. So am I. You know, I'm not sure. You could you could, you could argue that that's just as, you know, as capitalistic as, as the erratic idea is radical, Wade. Uh, but uh, it's just, you know, we're, we're, we, we teach the slowdown approach, and it works for winning. Because when you slow a guy down, you can you can win on a scale of one to ten. Ten being you know a, a guy's an eight and he's wrestling a six. The sixth guy in this in today's system can win that match because he can frustrate the eight, keep him down, just get one stalling call because maybe maybe it might have been a hometown crowd stalling call, whatever it doesn't matter. He can win in this point score point earned point scored system. Uh, you know, there, there's going to be so many points scored that, you know, the, the best wrestler is always going to get their hand raised. And that goes against what the coaches wanted to see happen. It just, this, it, it, once this goes in, elementary, middle school, high school coach, college coach, will all scream the same thing. So we are indoctrinating our athletes today uh, to, to wrestling a lot more than getting the points build up. You know, someone said, well, we'll try it for one year, Wade. We, uh, we don't like it, but we're going to try it. Don't try it. It won't change anything in the first year. It will change a little bit, but not much because the kids have not been trained to get after it, you know, since they had since seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. They're going to go back and wrestle the same style they always have. But within two, three, four years, as the high school coaches are screaming it, they get to college, and they're screaming it, and they have four, five, six years of experience of doing this and of opening up and cutting loose. Uh, you're going to see a tremendous uptick. In, in bringing money in. When you bring money in, you can still be the stupidest program academically at the school. You can still have fights in the bar. You know, that may not change in wrestling. That's maybe the, sometimes the nature of some of our student athletes. But if you have the money over here, we're not doing anything the football doesn't do socially, academically, you know, but they have money coming in, so they get to stay. You have no power over here politically. We get, our programs get to be dropped because there's nothing coming in. So we have to, it has to be money and you can't go out and raise it. And the RTCs are causing more problems than you can ever imagine on the college campus. I, you know, you, you can't have RTCs on college campuses. They're wonderful, wonderful for our international capabilities. What we're doing now, I mean, we're actually having, we're competing with the Russians and the Iranians now where we never did before because of the RTC. So it's really, really, really good for USA wrestling, but it's really, really bad for NCA wrestling. 
YUSA Wrestling is they get all the RTCs to self-fund themselves. Penn State has $5 million in the bank for their RTC, and they, they, they churn a lot of money, and they're paying their athletes. Good for them. I, I'm all for that. But the athletic director at Penn State goes, wait a minute. I've asked you for 25 years to help me out fundraise for your program, and you said you, you've tried all your best, Coach, and you couldn't do it. It's just money. There's no money in wrestling. There's a lot of money in wrestling. You can see it in the RTCs. And now all of a sudden the RTC gets started and the coach goes out and raises it at, at ODU. That was one of the reasons why that program got dropped. Stevie did a great job, Martin, of going out and raising $300,000 for the RTC program. And all of a sudden the AD goes, hey, for 20 years or 10 years, how long is he there? I've asked you to help me and you couldn't help me. And all of a sudden an RTC shows up, you raise $300,000. So basically you've been lying to me for the last 10 years that you've been here and I've been struggling and I'm not really, I'm not really happy with that. And that 300,000 doesn't come into my coffers as the athletic director it goes into your pocket. Not really, not your personal pocket, but your pocket that's sitting there. So it, it hurts. And USA Wrestling gets all the benefit of all this. They get to use the facilities at all these colleges for free, no rent being paid to buy USA Wrestling to the colleges to use their facilities so that they can raise money and they can have a program so why USA Wrestling is sitting back going, this is great. I get all these benefits. I don't have to put any money out for that. And they're paying the coaches at the RTCs. This is, I mean, it, you couldn't ask for a better situation. And more power too, Rich, you know, at USA Wrestling, it's wonderful for them. But it's not so wonderful at the college level. Because now the rich get richer. You know, Penn State with the number of kids they have in that room. Or, you know, in Oklahoma or Ohio State. Do you think a clarion can keep up? No way. You know, the Central Michigan is the Clarions, the Chihuahuan, the, you know, the Appalachian States, you know, Boise State. Oops, that's not even around anymore. Uh, you know, the, these programs get dropped because they cannot compete. You know, D1s, you know, there's so many schools that are D1 that have no business whatsoever being at D1, you know, because they can't compete. Penn State's, the intramural champions at Penn State could beat Bloomsburg's varsity. You know, and so Bloomsburg is not a D1 program. And I'm not taking a shot at D1. I can name... 50 other D1 programs that are in the same, same boat. You know, they have no business being there. Now the AD goes, why am I killing myself to, to raise 300,000, 500,000 a year for you to have you get shut out five-year matches during the year, Penn State, Ohio State, Pittsburgh, Lehigh. You wrestle them, they all shut you out. You know, that's throwing good money you know, after bad. It, you know, we, we can't do this. And it's so much easier for the, for the athletic director to drop wrestling than it is to say, no, you're going down to D2. If, you, if you, the athletic director can say that, no, you're going D2. What? So the next 10 years, every alumni member, if, if they said that at Clarion, every alumni member, including me, would be bitching at the president and the athletic director for dropping him down to D2. So he would catch crap for 10 straight years. If he just says, this ain't working, I'm just going to drop the sport. And he drops the sport, he catches hell for one year. And then we go away because we forget about it. There's no one at Slippery Rock writing the president or athletic director of Slippery Rock still bitching about them dropping the program. It's easier to drop the program than it is to downgrade it. So the AD says, I'm going to take the path of least resistance. Because you know wrestling people, they're, I mean, they're fanatical. When they're, when they're uh, done dirty, they're, you know, they remember <laughs> that. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I've been jumping all over the map here. I, I'm sure there's again, you know, come on, Kyle, get jump in here. <laughs> I like cumulative scoring, though. 
I'm a big fan of that. Always have been. So I, I right on point. That's where I think the direction needs to go. No doubt. Really? But so in now? order to yeah, in order to make those changes, there's only one way it's going to happen. Well, it's two ways. You either let the sport die where there's nobody left, and uh, excuse me, uh, where there's nobody left, and build the program back up, or the coaches are not going to make these changes. They like it the way it is. Any change threatens their position. Kale Sanderson and Tommy Brands like the number one, number two position. Any change in any rule, there's a chance that they may not be one or two, so they're not voting for it. Okay, every coach looks at the negative and say, "Oh, I'm a I'm number twelve now in the nation, roughly, you know, give or take, on, on any given year." So, you know, if I put this in, I make it down to twenty. There's a movement, you know, some people want to see freestyle going to college. You know, hell, the collegiate, you know. For folk style, let's get rid of and go freestyle. That's what the Olympics are. Well, that will never happen because the people who vote, most of them have not wrestled freestyle. You know, so they know if we go to freestyle, they don't know what the hell they're doing. So they know they're going to move from number 22 to number 45 real quick, and they're not going to let that happen. So the majority of coaches, not the power of the coaches, you know, because, you know, you can say Kale certainly has a lot more power, you know, than the coach of Clarion. Uh, I don't see that happening. But you, you, the only way that something like this point is going to go is you have to go to the Bob Bowlesby and say, Bob, this is what we want to need to do. If you disagree, thank you very much for listening to me. I, I appreciate your time. Uh, you know, thank you for all you've done for wrestling and leave. But if he says, you know, that makes a lot of sense, then, Bob, I need you to go to the NCA and over, over, oversee the rules committee and have the NCA, the big boys, tell the rules committee, this is what we're doing. Have a nice day, you know, and, and they don't have a vote on it because what you want to do is say, Bob, we need to do this for five years or four, at least three years. Have a pilot program and we're going to do this because if we can do make this change and get more people showing up and have a go from red ink to black ink on the bottom line for the programs, which, you know, today with this with this likeness thing that came out, that's going to change everything in wrestling. This likeness. Oh, my God. You know, that, that's that's another whole story. Wrestling has to get in the black or they're going to disappear. And Bowlesby has to say, if we can do it and make a pilot program for wrestling, if we can do it in wrestling, we can do the same type of thing in track and field, in tennis and swimming and diving. And we can try to get all of our programs in the black versus red. And then everybody wins. Now, whether that would ever happen or not, I don't know, because, you know, Kale will never vote for that because he's going to say, you mean if you pin two of my kids and I win eight matches, I'm going to lose a duel? No, I'm not voting for that. Mm-mm. You know, because then a clarion with, you know, Bill Simpson and Wade Chalice pinned two of their kids, you know, could win the dual meet. But uh, I've looked back probably 10 years and all the dual meets we've had in 10 years. And it's never been that I've saw anywhere on the on the sheets where a team that had two pins won the, would have won the dual meet. You know, you know, because the other team has a couple pins and a couple higher scoring matches, too. It's not going to happen, although it, it would scare the coaches. I get it. But uh, yeah. so anyhow, yeah, that's a lot of a lot of a lot of really interesting ideas coming out. So, if you were in the room with Bob Bowlesby and you put the twenty biggest problems yep. in wrestling, is your number one the point earned as a point that the, that the, the cumul- cumulative? Clearly, it's it's clearly number one. It makes the biggest change in wrestling. It's one change, and it changes everything. 
because you go you get a you get a you, you you drop a socialistic system and you pick up a capitalistic system and we know we have our problems in America between the Dems and the Republicans and this and that but we still have the largest economy in the world and you know we're doing capitalism is messy but it works and capitalism in sports in wrestling is messy but it works and it will work you know there's you know the push out well, yeah that's some, some there's a lot of people that and that's their number one thing okay how does that improve wrestling it takes away takedowns and adds the push out so you have less action well you know these guys are really equal you know the they're really hard to, bullshit I'm not buying that these guys are so equal. You can't pin them. You can't put them on their back. They're not trying to. You know, you cut you cut a guy loose. There's going to be points scored, and a lot of them. And now and then, when you get, let that happen, there's going to be a lot more. I won't say fisticuffs, but you're going to have a lot more of the Iowa boom, boom. I'm trying to get. It's going to be more of a fight with te- with technical skills, but there's going to be a fight more take place. And because uh, the coach is screaming, his teammates are screaming. When he's down by, you know, eight points and there's 20 seconds, oh, get on the bottom. Come on, Jimmy, come on, come on, get your feet, get your feet. You need one, you need one. Come on, you need one. Everybody in the place is screaming, get one. Now, he, you know, he has a reason to get up. Right now, he has no reason to get up. And the fans are seeing that and they're yawning. And, and now you can say at the NCAAs, how many great matches do you see? Five, eight, ten, maybe out of... 400. I mean, there are some great matches the NCAAs. Truly some great ones. Some unexpected great ones. But there's a hell of a lot more sleepers, you know, than last year at the NCAAs. Seven of the 10 bouts, zero takedowns in the first period. Seven out of 10 bouches, no takedown. Seven out of 10 in the finals. Wow. That would never... And you're saying this is exciting? This is great? Huh? Now, the fans that are listening to what this podcast are fans of wrestling. They can find reasons why this won't work, and they can say, I don't like it. And some people go, that's interesting, and think about it. But I don't care about their opinion. Those numbers are so small, they're diehards. I love them to death. Uh, this is not a, a yelling at them or somehow demeaning them. I love them to death. They're going to show up and root for their team no matter what the hell the rules are. So you're not going to lose one fan out of this change. You're still going to have the same fans. They may not like it, but they'll get used to it in a very quick period of time. Coaches will not like this, but I'll tell you, they're so competitive. Within 13, 14 seconds of this becoming a rule, they'll adapt real quick because they'll go, oh, shit. You know, if this is the rule, we've got to coach to it. And they'll change right. They'll bitch right up to the point where it's time to get in the wrestling room or the first dual meet, and all of a sudden they're on board 100% because they're champions, they're winners, they're achievers. They know how to how to achieve, and they're, by damn, they're going to achieve. And they'll take whatever the rules are, and they'll work with it. And I I I I promise you, in three years, you triple the fans' numbers. You'll get the people coming in that we don't currently have, and they're the ones that are important. I don't care about the ones we have now because those numbers are so small, they're unimportant. The ones we don't have are the ones we've got to please and the ones we've got to get to show up. Man. Wade, that's uh, yeah, that's very, very outside the box, but definitely something to chew on. And I'm, we're not going to have time to get into all your ideas today, but I think, I think you probably have a bunch and maybe we have you on again. But before we, we, we 
move on. Um, Kyle has been sitting there very patiently. He only chimed in a couple times. But we got a little game he likes to play, and uh, I'll let him take it away. Wait, it's called Sweat It Out Five Questions. Yeah, we're trying to make you sweat right. your five questions. You're ready to play. Number I'm ready. one, where did, coach. where did your college coach Bob Bob wrestle in college? Pittsburgh. He was a Panther. Yeah, he was. He finished. He was fourth his senior year. See, I didn't. Know uh-huh, you didn't have that. <laughs> uh, number two, who was Clarion's most recent NCAA champion? Angle. Mark nope. Ang- Kurt Angle. Nope, there's one after him. He's from Delaware. Oh, uh, 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 yeah, uh, 18-pounder. Uh, ah, I can't think of his name, but I can see him. He's, he's, <laughs> he's the best coach, one of the best coaches in Delaware right now. He's a 118-pounder. You're right on all that. You tell me when you want me to give you the name. Well, I'm, you know, I'm 70 now, so things sometimes come in and leave. <laughs> it is Sheldon, Sheldon Thomas. Sheldon. Sheldon Thomas, yep. I beat you. I beat you. No. I get Sheldon in ahead of time. <laughs> Number three, name the, the wrestler who placed third at the D2 NCAA championships and placed first at the D1 NCAA championships the same year. Gary Barton. Don Roan, both of them. Yeah, you could have done either of those, so you got it. Nice work. Uh, Number four, who defeated Larry Owings at the 1971 NCAA championships in the finals? Ooh, it's 71. Uh, Keller, one of the the two Zip Zap twins, Dwayne and Daryl Keller. Daryl Keller, you got it. And then number five, uh, what movie line is this from? I'm also just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. Uh, that was uh, 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 Notting Hill. You got it. That was Notting Hill. You got it. I, I'm going to give you four and a half. I mean, the, you were good on that that clarion with Sheldon Thomas. You were right there. So half a point. Yeah, I'll take four. Up, you yeah. got That's reason. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sharp. What year? Sharp. What year? Did they start the did, were athletes allowed to win four NCAA titles? Nineteen sixty eight. Allowed, like didn't let's see. Freshmen could compete in what year for the first time? Nineteen sixty eight or nineteen sixty nine? Seventy. Was it 70? Okay. Close. All right, Wayne, we got one more one more little game we like to play. And this one is called Wins and Whoopins. So I want you to think back over the entirety of your career. Is there one win that stands out as really memorable? It can be like your best win or your favorite or a comeback or somebody who or revenge or, or whatever it is. But one win that stands out, and then one ass whooping. Right, everybody's got beat up and had their had their ass kicked once or twice. 
Um, is there one win and one loss that stand out over the span of any match you've ever wrestled? You can answer either one first. Okay. Uh, the one that stands out, you know, state high school championship my senior year. Um, when, if you get a, someone who's a multimillionaire, what he remembers more than anything is the very first million that he made because that tells him he's on the right track. If he continues to do the same thing over and over again, he'll get a second, third, fifth, eight million dollars. If the first one tells him he's got the formula, he has the work ethic and he knows what he's doing. Okay. For me, the, my first big win was the state high school finals my senior year. I pinned a two-time defending state champion who was clearly favored to win over me. I was a little skinny kid. I, I didn't go to states my junior year. I was I went to states my first time my senior year. And uh, his name was John Chapman. And, and between the two of us, we had more pins between the two of us than all the other finalists in every other weight class combined. And the only, there was bets going all over the place. That was the match of the, of the evening. And uh, the decision, most people come up with the idea that the match is going to last six, and it didn't. But uh, it was it was an incredible evening for me. I I was uh, I, I I finished with I I missed one guy my senior year. I pinned everybody except for one guy, and uh, I think I have the record for the most, highest percentage of pins to wins, you know, in, in a year. Uh, I don't know when anyone's pinned the whole way through, but whatever. Uh, that was that was my biggest win because it told me that was my first million dollars. It told me I have the right stuff. And if you do that in you know, OW in Pennsylvania, yeah, it's usually going to mean you're going to have a pretty good collegiate career too. So I was able uh -huh. to catapult that. And uh, ass kicking, I, I really never took an ass kicking. I, I There were some matches that I was really frustrated in or um, – I, the one sticks out in my mind, Wayne Wells. I wrestled Wayne uh, for the uh, uh, Pan Am trials. I was I was a high school. I just graduated from high school. It was in the summer between my senior year and my freshman year, and I had Wells uh, in the finals. The winner goes to the Pan Ams, loser goes home, and I was up six to two, and. I didn't take him down, but I almost did. He got into a quad pod back then. If your knees didn't touch the mat, it wasn't a takedown. And so I was trying to get him over, and I lowered my body, and he stepped over me and pinned me. And he he stepped over, and I I thought I it was a grizzly bear on top of me. You know, he he realized he was behind on points, and he squeezed, and I couldn't budge, and I got yeah. pinned. And I I was I've been pinned twice in my life, and that was one of them. And uh, it was the only one I was really pinned. The other time I rolled across my back and did it a little too slow. And you know, there was nothing he did. I did it myself and got pinned. I went, all right. But Wayne's the only one that really stuck. But I, I had the match in my hand. And it was it was less than a minute to go, and I still. But that was that was probably my disappointment that I I had a defending world champion on the ropes, and I was just coming out of my high school senior year, so I was I was doing well. I did, but yeah, that was the one that bothered me in winning states in high school you know, was the number one because that was my first million dollars. Tells me I was doing the yeah. right thing and I had the skill to move on. That's awesome, Wayne. Um, man, like I said, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you for the last oh, probably about an hour or so. And and I know we, there's a, uh, probably a, a thousand, a dozen, a thousand, a million other topics we could have get in, gotten into. And hopefully you can come back on and, and we can do this again because I like the way your mind thinks. I like the way you're, you're thinking about the sport and how to make it better and, and, and definitely some outside-of-the-box stuff. But but um, I love hearing your ideas and, and your thoughts on the sport. 
Any parting words uh, from you before we let you move on with your day? No, I'm, that's, that's pretty much it. I've, you've got me exhausted here. I got myself exhausted. Uh, but I've, I've written, uh, I, have a, I have my own blog, wadeshallows.com, and I have a lot of these ideas listed. I, you know, when I put them in there, and people respond to them, but uh, they're creative. And I have a lot more that you're right that we could cover. So that, you know, if someone wants to go there and read a couple, they're, they're certainly interesting. And you have to go in there with an open mind. And there's a lot that you won't like, but you'll, but I want you to sit back and say, at the very least, he made me think. That's what I do in my writing, because I'm sure Kyle does very, very similar. Kyle, you are the best writer we have in Win. You do an excellent job. I, I turn to your column every day. When I get the magazine, you're the first page I turn to, whatever the hell Kyle's saying. You know, it's well thought out, interesting topics. You do a great job. Um, and, and what I try to do when I write, and I know Kyle does the same thing, at the end, I don't care if you agree or disagree with what I said, but I want you to say, uh, I don't know if I like the son of a bitch what he had to say there, but you know, he made me think. If I can make you think, then I've done my job as, as, as a writer. And uh, so that, that's that. And uh, I have one book out, and I have another book coming out of fiction. It's called Jacob's Cradle. And you get it at Amazon, you can, you know, you can, uh, it's, it's there. And, and everyone, who's had, everyone who's read my book and put a, a, a remark in Amazon, I get five stars. Everybody has given me a five star. It's about wrestling, about a love affair, about spy versus spy, CIA, and the Olympics and the pan, uh, and a competition down in Sarah Palata in Cuba. Uh, it's very interesting, and it's five stars out of five. And it's in Amazon. It's a, it's a quick read, and it's very good, called Jacob's Cradle. So there you go. Jacob's I got my little plug in there. Absolutely. The Jacob's Cradle. Yep. We'll have to check it out. Um, I, well, sweet. Go ahead. You can say something. Well, no. If you if you if you read it and you like it, then you please say something kind at Amazon. If you don't like it, lie to me and say something nice kind at Amazon, please. Hit that five five star button. Um, Wait. Thanks so much for joining us, man. It, it really was. It was awesome conversations, and and you definitely got me thinking whether I completely agreed with you or not. Like, you know, the the, the hamster's running. So, <laughs> thanks for your insight. Uh, thanks for your stories, and and. Really enjoyed talking with you today. And just remember, a point scored, earned is a point scored, is the same way every sport is. Why are we different? Why do the, the big sports do it that way? And why are they full stands? And why aren't we? Sure. We're two on that one. I appreciate it, though. Wade, have a great day. Thanks Thank so much. You. And I hope we get to talk to you again. Have a nice day. Please stay well, guys. Right. Thank you so Thanks. much. You too. All right, Kyle, man, he, he made you think? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he did, but th those, I, I'm just on board with it. So to me, I've, I've thought that for years. It just, so I'd like to see it happen. Anyway, and I know we're at the end of this, but we can dive into more of why I think it's so important to do that. But I, I'm on board with that. All right. I'm going to chew on it. I don't hate it, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to think about and something that, that big. But um, yeah, we'll give us some time. We thought maybe we'll have. I'd love to have Wade on again because I know he can take this a hundred different directions and it'd be entertaining. So um, thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. It was a fun show. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place for Kyle Klingman. I'm Mark Bader. We'll see you. Thanks. <laughs>